This episode of SciShow Tangents is brought to you in partnership with Gates Notes. You can go to GatesNotes.com to read about the latest innovations in toilets and sanitation and to learn more about the Reinvent the Toilet Challenge, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week and sitting in for science expert, Sari Riley, is science expert and Tangents editorial assistant and writer and co-host of Journey to the Microcosmos, it's Deboki Chakravarti. Hello. Hello. Ooh. How's the Olympics going for you? Do you care at all? I care when I want background noise. It's been great to be able to like turn it on <laughs> just like when I need something, but I've been having a hard time with sports this year where I've been getting into it and then hating myself for it because I get so stressed. Oh. It's just oh, you get too, too much. Into it. Yeah. Uh-huh. An interesting thing about this Olympics that I have enjoyed is following all of the athletes on TikTok yeah. where I realize that th- that's just like party time village. Yeah. And they're like all 18 and going <laughs> yeah. insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely like read all those like secrets of the Olympic Village articles in the past when they've come out and now seeing uh-huh. it live on TikTok. I'm like, this is great. This is like <laughs> seeing this, like, how they test yeah. out the cardboard beds. I'm like, yep, uh-huh. that's that's perfect. That sounds about right. Yeah, the uh, it used to be NBC would give you like these mini documentaries on the athletes. And so you'd see like the trials and struggles. And now instead of that, it's just like thirst traps and using audios in funny Olympics ways. <sighs> anyway, we're also joined by our resident everyman, Sam Schultz, Bella. who has already spoken up a little bit and oh, also sorry. I'm sure has a, Olympic opinions. Oh, I love the I love the Olympics. I feel bad that I love the Olympics so much, but I do. And I was supposed to go to these Olympics. You were supposed to go to these Olympics? For my honeymoon. Oh. Double whammy, huh? Uh, didn't have my wedding, not for any bad, just for COVID reasons. We're still going to yeah. have it eventually. And- can't go to Japan to the Olympics. God, that blows. Rachel's upstairs watching the Olympics right this second. We love the Olympics. So you're more like streaming your own honeymoon. I guess we didn't think about it that way, but that is, that's a, that's a nice spin on it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not actually sure how to watch the Olympics. I've been, I've only been watching highlights because I don't know how to get it into my home. Well, you can either have an antenna on your television or you can have cable. Well, I'm not doing that. I'll no. tell you that much. Yeah. No, it's too late probably also. They're over like the middle of next week. So Really? I thought it was like I thought it Olympics were like six weeks long or something. I think they're two weeks long. That's no, nice. that's ridiculous. You can't build a city for two weeks of sport. It seems like a lot, but we are a very inventive and very clever species, so I guess we can make anything happen, which is basically what this podcast is about. Mm. Because every week here, we on tangents get together to try to one up amaze and delight each other with science facts while trying to stay on topic. Today, the facts are not about the Olympics. They are about something else, which you've already gotten several spoilers about what that is, but we're not going to tell you quite yet. Our panelists are playing for glory, but they're also playing for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, it will either be Sam or Deboki taking home the medal. (laughs) (laughs) It's made of Hank Bucks this week, the Hank Bucks medal. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with a traditional science poem. And this week, it's from me. 
Joshua Everly Anthony Tripe laid 2.2 million miles of pipe to bring us fresh water and take it away after we'd added a bit of our waste. Joshua Everly Anthony Tripe has every reason maybe to gripe that he took on the world's biggest villain and saved more people than penicillin. So why, oh why don't we know his name? Why aren't there statues, parades, and fame? Well, a simple reason, really. Joshua Everly Anthony Tripe, he didn't exist, though it would have been nice. One person could not do all those things and save us from the diseases that water brings. Instead of one man, he was many millions, everyday unappreciated civilians. Diseases of water tried to spoil it, but instead, thanks to them, we just hook up our toilet. But since our brains, like simpler myths, where one hero saves us from all of this, thank Joshua Everly Anthony Tripe every time you wipe. Wow, I thought he was real. That was such a real name for a guy. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great, great poem. Thanks. I'm very curious about the process behind this poem, about how the name came about. Was it, did you were like, I got wipe. What's the best fake last name that I can make? I think you must have had laying pipe first. I had pipe first. Yeah. got it. (laughs) No, I lucked. Wipe was 100% luck. I was like, holy shit. Wipe. It's right there. Yep. (laughs) That's amazing. So our topic for the day is not pipe, though that would be a good one. Uh Instead, it is toilets. Toilets, one of the most important uh, innovations in the history of humankind. They save a tremendous number of lives, and they are uh, basically holes that go into either the ground or a sewer. Deboki, are you going to tell me what a toilet is? Yeah. Um, so basically, I think a lot of times, like if we're talking about what a toilet is, we we kind of have assigned it at this point in our life to, uh, or in humanity's life, to a fixture that's being used for defecation and urination. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. it is a water-flushed bowl with a seat. So I think that's what a lot of us are familiar with. But obviously, there are many other types of toilets out there that are that we use. There are porta potties. There are squat toilets. There's a lot of different forms um, for basically collecting our waste and sending it somewhere else to be Mm. disposed of. And any of those is a toilet? So I would want to say that if it gets collected, like, and it's kind of like being designated as a spot for this collection, then I would Mm. argue it's a toilet. Um, I mean, throughout history, we've had like a lot of different ways of basically kind of assigning like a pit-like structure for toilets. Um, Romans are usually credited with like the early sewage system innovations. Uh, One of the first citywide systems was called the Cloaca Maxima and was built around 600 BC or so, plus or minus a few hundred years. So I think there's both like the toilet as like the toilet thing, and then there's also the sewage system that we connect it to. So those are kind of like both parts of it. But I would think of the toilet as the actual instrument for collecting the waste. Yeah, Yeah, tends to be porcelain, though I think that there may have been a time when there was a thing that you you would call toilet that had a number of elements of ceramic and wood to sort of do the work. But yeah, the the sort of all of the stuff, all of the, the sewage collection stuff is certainly not the toilet. And in fact, a lot of toilets are just hooked up to a septic system and don't connect to a sewage system at all. Yeah. And I mean, if you're in space, 
you're you're not connected <laughs> to a no, sewage system. That's definitely and they, true. That's a great point. And they still have to they have to figure out how to make space toilets so that yeah. you know there's a way to help out astronauts. Um, and so there's a lot mm. of innovation still going on with toilets. We are not done with toilets. There are ways to no. make them better. There are ways to make them more accessible, more environmentally friendly. Um, this is where the Gates Foundation's reinvent the toilet challenge comes in. And also people like there are researchers studying like old toilets to see what we can learn um, from those about toilet technology and its long storied history. Do you know where the word toilet comes from? Because there's like ode to toilet and that's not like toilet water. That's something else that used to be called a toilet that we don't call a toilet anymore, right? Yeah. So the word had nothing to do with <laughs> like originally with waste. With uh, okay. It was used in the 1530s uh, in English as a cover or bag for clothes. Um, it originally oh. comes from the French toilet, meaning a cloth. So I think it was like a cloth thing, but then it apparently went on to refer to upper class dressing rooms. Um, so things like mirrors, brushes, uh. um, like that sat on like a table with, um, and that you would cover in cloth. And then around the 1800s, toilet referred to combination dressing rooms and bathrooms. And I think that's where it kind of started to shift. So Americans then took that and by the end of the 1800s, just kind of referred to any inside bathroom as the toilet. So that would be like a bathroom that's inside versus like an outhouse or a water closet. Uh, and then in the early 1900s, we Americans started calling the porcelain poop thing the toilet so it just kind of got like reduced (laughs) from there from the room down to the actual thing that's very weird what the hell i mean i guess like this 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 makes me feel like when it comes to naming things that are a little bit taboo all bets are off. <laughs> you just, people are like, I don't know. I'm very nervous. Yeah. We have to pick the fanciest French word we can think of. <laughs> There's this additional note that toilet paper like came around in like 1884, but the Middle English equivalent was arse wisp. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's just when it comes to the toilet, like the vocabulary is just. Yeah. There's a whole myth about how the guy who invented the toilet was named Thomas Crapper, and that's why it's called the Crapper. But that's not true. There was a guy, though, named Thomas Crapper, and he was a sanitary engineer and businessman in England um, in the mid 1800s. But his real innovation was rebranding toilets to be a thing that you could like show off and sell. So he would actually like show them off in showrooms to try to like get people to be Mm. excited about buying toilets. So were there Crapper brand toilets? This Apparently, you can actually wow. still see tea crapper on manhole covers in England on their like huh. sewer infrastructure. But it is, does that have anything to do with the word crap? Not that I know of. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. That is that is weird. I mean, coincidences. It's gotta, right? <laughs> no, it's not related. It's not? What the <laughs> no. hell? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he was not. just like, well, that's my name. So I guess I have to do this. Yeah. That happens all the time. I got my, my tendon reattached in my hand by Dr. Hand. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're right. So I feel uh, well informed on what a toilet is now, though it turns out to be broader than maybe any of us imagined, especially as we consider how to distribute these things and make them more equal. But that means that it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week, we're playing a game designed by Sari Riley, actually. It's called 
toilet technology or carnival contraption. Um, <laughs> that sounds like something she would come up with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rules are very simple. I'm going to read to you an invention, and you're going to have to guess whether it was created to upgrade a toilet or to enhance a carnival-going experience. You are not allowed to ask me clarifying questions. <laughs> All right. Invention number one. Humans have built all kinds of architecture to satisfy our needs for separating different rooms, death-defying stunts, or simply nice views. In the 1400s through at least the 1700s in Russia, people would regularly climb a wooden tower as high as 70 or 80 feet and sit on a hollowed-out block of ice filled with straw. What happened next? I'll leave that up to your imagination. So, is that a toilet technology or a carnival contraption? Man, imagine having to climb 80 feet in the middle of the night. Yeah, that's, a, I mean, like, the ice and straw seems like, because, like, you can, you can go to, like, a dive bar and still pee in, like, a urinal with ice in it, and I'm sure that there must be bathrooms with straw in them somewhere. What but, is the ice for, Sam? Well... I don't know. Does it stop splashing, maybe? Uh, I thought it was just like the flushing was the ice. Oh, right. So you melting. don't have to flush. It just melts a little bit. That's what I always it's assumed, always but I think maybe, that's what it is. maybe nobody yeah. knows. And it's just a tradition that lasts <laughs> to this very day. But yeah, in Montana, there's plenty of big metal long toilets with ice in them. Oh. Ice troughs. It's the climbing for me. Yeah, you don't want your pee and poop to be that high up in the air, I'm pretty sure. And you don't want to have to fall that far. You mean your poop and pee? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a carnival thing. I don't know how this could be a toilet thing. <laughs> it's a trick. This is a trick. It's a carnival thing. I want to go with a carnival thing, too. You are both correct. <sighs> it is a early roller coaster-like contraption for winter festivals, of course, because it's Russia. Uh, it's a giant ice slide. So you would sit up there, and then you would slide down the 70 to 80 feet down a, a slide. Uh, the block of ice with straw in it would be your sled. And people would then careen down a 600-foot-long icy slope with a sand patch at the bottom to slow them down once they got there. Did people die? We assume. I think they must have, yeah. (laughs) And to be fair, like, someone probably peed on it at some point. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Oh, well, that's, I mean, yes. What carnival contraption hasn't had pee on it? (laughs) The sleds did get more advanced over the years, and Catherine the Great built an ice slide with actual rollers on it to make the contraption closer to a roller coaster that we would recognize today. Wow. Regardless, it was super dangerous, (laughs) and don't put your children on blocks of ice with straw in them 70 to 80 feet in the air. There was, however, a a medieval toilet that was kind of like this. There was uh, just a hole cut into a stone. Uh, The toilet was called a garter robe, and the hole dumped a long way down into a hole or a cesspit or the moat, depending on the structure of the building. So Mm -hmm. you'd be pretty high up when you poop, and your your poop would go like, wee! Wow, so you you would have to hear it fall. It would whistle like a bomb, I assume. (laughs) All right, invention number two. Humans are social creatures, so we want to hang out in groups. So this invention helps you do just that. It's a large oval-shaped structure estimated to weigh around 26,000 pounds, and it contains 15 individual seat tubs that could onboard and hold a group of users at once, though not all of the tubs have to be occupied for the device to work. This sounds like some kind of Roman thing to me. (laughs) The problem is it also sounds like it could be like a teacup ride. Oh. Oh. 
I feel like you cracked it with the teacup thing. <laughs> I think it's gotta be those teacups. But it's gonna be so embarrassing if it's something that a bunch <laughs> of people are pooping in at the same time. Yeah. And then they're watching all their poop like flow into a common hole of some sort just for fun. Yeah. <sighs> but I think you're right. And I think I'm gonna go, I think I gotta go with teacup. That sounds like a Sari way to describe that kind of situation. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm wondering if I should go with toilet. This is the classic trap of the smart person on the show. Yeah, I can I can go full Sari on this and change my mind and then be wrong. Um, you know what? In honor of Sari, I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to go with the toilet. The answer. <laughs> the answer is carnival contraption. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Um, it was it's not like the teacups though. It's more like a weird long Ferris wheel, like a short oval Ferris wheel, but it could load four cars at once, so there's less time sitting around. So it was a way of like shortening the Ferris wheel time, but it also wasn't as high as a Ferris wheel, mm. so it's probably a little less fun. Uh-huh. There were only 15 built because it was bulky and hard to assemble and dis- disassemble for traveling carnivals. Huh. There were, and probably still are in some parts of the world, communal toilet bathhouses that aren't separated by stalls like we see these days. Uh, a lot of imagery online that shows uh, ancient Roman toilets. Mm-hmm. You just got everybody sitting next to each other on holes. Yeah. Uh, and I imagine chatting, they right? They probably were having right? a really good time. Yeah. So I, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't do a circle just so that we could see each other. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. Hey, <laughs> Jeremy. It's good to see you. <laughs> Is that a Roman name? I don't know. Actually, I really don't know. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> Our third invention, part of the fun of decorations, is creating immersive experiences. So inventors have taken the boring old backier chair to new levels of fun. This aquarium tank, patented in the 1900s, is designed to attach or detach from your seat back, and it can hold aquatic animals, plants, decorative objects, or whatever you can dream up to create an underwater paradise wherever you are. So is that... Toilet technology or a carnival contraption. So like your toilet tank, hypothetically, if this is a toilet thing, could be filled with fish and stuff. But that water goes in the thing. It goes but is in it the bowl. separate? Well, I guess it could be. Because the other thing is like, wouldn't it be really bad to have fish on a roller coaster? Yeah, but that, I'm, well, no clarifying. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this could be at some kind of like, I mean, maybe there's like a restaurant at the carnival where all the seat backs have fish in them or, or like a river mm, cruise or something. True. That sounds like way more trouble than any carnival would ever go to, though. But it does sound like something a weird person would make the back of their yeah. toilet look like. To this me. definitely sounds like a rich person's toilet. Yes, the richest person's <laughs> toilet. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, I'm going with toilet. The correct answer is toilet contraption uh, or toilet technology. There are actually multiple toilet tank aquarium patents Uh. with the same general concept. You replace the standard toilet tank with a two-tank system mounted to the toilet bowl. One chamber works like a normal, though small, tank for flushing the toilet bowl. And then the larger chamber is an aquarium that can be removed as needed, presumably to care for your fish or whatever. They're connected by the same lid and the handle Uh is attached to one side. So it looks sort of like one giant aquarium toilet, but you don't have to worry about flushing the fish. So I guess people, lots of people have been like, you know, there's a tank. 
Uh, and tanks, one thing I know they do is hold fish. <laughs> so why not? You're going to like cover it with the toilet seat, right? If you put that up, like there's a lot. Yeah, you of can't them. look at it while you're going to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. And your fish are going to watch poops come out of your butt, <laughs> yeah. basically. Weirdly, that doesn't bother me at all. Oh. <laughs> does does it bother you to be yeah. watched? Well, I feel, I feel like does. now that he said it, it does. <laughs> to think that they're behind you and they're like, hey, yeah. it's that guy. Uh, yeah, I can't What's even see them watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you guys sit on the toilet facing out? Oh, gosh. Don't trip me up this place. <laughs> All right. Well, that means the Sam Schultz has come out with uh, an astounding three of three correct and is leading to Boki a three to two. If there's one thing that the common man knows about, it's toilets. So <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Next, we're going to take a short break and then it will be time for the fact off. This episode is made in partnership with Gates Notes, the blog of Bill Gates. For the last 400 years, toilets haven't changed that much. But that does not mean that toilets are perfect. There are communities all over the world living with unsafe sanitation conditions or living in places where traditional toilet and sanitation methods just aren't practical. The challenge remains to make toilets that are safer, more efficient, and more accessible to people all over the world. And there are scientists and engineers trying to tackle that challenge every day. The Reinvent the Toilet Challenge was founded in 2011 with the goal of finding the most innovative ideas for safe sanitary toilets that don't need water or electricity, and that transform human waste into useful resources. In the 10 years the Reinvent the Toilet Challenge has been around, researchers have come up with tons of ingenious toilet innovations that are helping keep people everywhere healthier. You can learn more about the Reinvent the Toilet Challenge and some of the amazing toilets it has inspired at GatesNotes.com. Welcome back, everybody. Now, get ready for the fact off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. After they've presented their facts, I will judge them and I will award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. But first, to decide who gets to go first, I have a trivia question. The question is, the S-bend in flush toilets is designed to permanently hold water in the curve of the pipe, creating an air seal that stops sewer gas from entering buildings through the toilet. The S-bend and its successor, the U-bend, represent a simple solution to a dangerous problem. However, these solutions rely on being connected to a sewer system, which isn't possible in much of the world. But here's your question. When was the S-bend invented? Oh... When was the damn toilet invented? When was the sewer system invented? I have no idea. 1450. All right. 1450 is Sam's That's guess. That's not right at all. I'm going to change it. You want to try again? Can I change it? <laughs> 1850. 1850 is Sam's guess. <laughs> that was a big difference. <laughs> That was originally going to be my guess. So I guess (laughs) I guess I'll go with 1800. Oh, and Devoki pulls it out. 1775. Well done. Good good job, Sam. You did. You did feel around that one (laughs) correctly. All right, Devoki, who do you want to go first? Um, I'll go first. 
Hit me. The white-footed sportive lemur of southern Madagascar is a family animal, but it's more like kind of like a loose family. They'll hang out in the same territory, but they wander around on their own. They sleep on different trees. And like a lot of other primates, they won't even groom each other. But they do share one thing, a toilet. So like humans, there are other animal species that will designate a spot for defecating and urinating. We call these spots animal latrines. And in addition to their immediate and obvious use as a toilet, these latrines can serve other important functions like protecting the animal from predators or helping them mark their territories. In the case of the white-footed sportive lemur, these latrines are likely kind of like a family bulletin board, helping the lemurs communicate with each other using smell. So in 2014, scientists from the German Primate Center reported the results of watching a family of lemurs for over a thousand hours, and they observed that for their latrines, the lemurs usually pick a group of trees in the middle of their territory that's like not immediately close to where they eat or sleep. Um, and all of the members in that family will use those designated latrine trees. And you know, when they need to go, they'll just like hold on to the tree trunk, lift their tail, and do their business. But while they're there, they'll also sniff and lick the tree, which allows them to communicate with the <laughs> each other via scent cues without actually having to directly engage with each other. I just like the idea that like they don't want to see each other, but they will do this. But they'll lick each other's <laughs> tree. That's fine. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with you, but do pee and pee pee. <laughs> and so these cues can include information about their sexual and individual identity to the rest of their family. And in addition, the scientists observed that the male lemurs from that territory, they would make more visits to the territory's latrines when a potentially invading male from another territory was like a bit uh -huh. too close to comfort. And in those cases, on their more frequent pit stops, the males from that territory, they'd mark the trees with their scent glands, which is kind of like demonstrating, you know, their willingness to protect their family. So all that using their little latrines. I mean, I can relate that there are a lot of people that I don't want to spend any time with, but I would love to know all the gossip in every little part uh -huh. of their personal life. Yeah. So yeah. we're not so different. Yeah. I mean, don't we kind of do the same thing? We we write on bathroom walls. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, there's always, there's a, there's a social component to the bathroom that I think is, you know, maybe not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it's definitely there. There always is in movies and TV shows. Like people are like in high school, they're always hanging out in the bathroom, like being yeah. being naughty. We or used whatever. to do that. But did yeah. you? I didn't ever know anybody who used to do that. So well, maybe maybe it went away. Hmm. Maybe it's more of maybe it was sort of I was on the tail end of that being a thing that people did. Well, I like that. <sighs> That's very weird. Um, it, it, does this have any impact on the tree getting peed and pooped on all the time? I mean, I assume so. I don't. They didn't report <laughs> anything, but I just okay. assume like all poop and pee, it all goes back to nature. Like it all oh, has right. it has lots of nutrients in there, lots of nitrogen in there. So there's plenty of. Do they? Is there a reason they choose a particular tree? I think Just they choose like the ones one? in the middle so that it's like in the, like kind of marks the designated center. Oh, there are other animals that will neat. choose um, okay. actually like the opposite. They'll choose trees that are or like locations for their latrines that are on the borders of their territories. Mm -hmm. And that helps mark that for their species. So I think mm -hmm. some of that's a little bit species dependent. Cool. I like the idea of there being sort of a central pillar of the community <laughs> yeah. where like you just sort of have a ring around it. I don't know that I like it being a poop tree, but yeah, whatever. But it's the one thing Probably everyone's going to do. It's true. Uh, I like that a lot. Sam, what do you got for me? All right. So do you know, and I am hoping that this is a universal experience, that sometimes when you poop, 
and you flush the poop, your poop leaves a big streak in the toilet bowl. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I do. And that sucks, right? Because what the hell are you supposed to do? Like if you aren't at home, especially leave the streak and just walk away <laughs> or keep flushing a million times and hope that uh-huh. the streak will go away. And then you're like, why aren't toilets just nonstick anyway at this point? Like they kind of are, but come Tough on. on pooper. That's well, great. in response to that last question, a team at Penn State has developed a liquid, oh God. quote, sludge and bacteria repellent spray that can be applied to the inside of a toilet bowl, making the bowl incredibly smooth and poop streak proof. So the treatment is a two-step process. Uh, step one is a spray-on coating of silicone molecules that, when they dry, arrange themselves into like little pokey-outy strands that are one million times thinner than human hair. Then step two is a spray-on silicone lubricant that kind of gets trapped in the hairs, and that keeps the inside of the toilet bowl nice and lubricated. Uh, The silicone plus hair lubricant combo is what's called a liquid entrenched smooth surface, or less. Uh, The spray sets in about five minutes, and the treatment lasts for 500 flushes. And I'll link a video in the notes of them doing experiments with liquid, but then with synthetic fecal matter, where you, they just drop these big globs of, it just looks like poop. It's disgusting. Why didn't they just use poop? Well, Hank, I don't know. It's a different color than poop, but it does look like poop. <laughs> what color was it? Well, yeah. Oatmeal colored? Oh, no. Yeah, it's kind of gross. But uh, I, I was hoping it would just be like purple or blue. They should have made it a nicer color, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so a streak-free bowl is nice, but that is not the primary reason that they developed a spray. So every day, 141 billion liters of water get flushed down the toilet worldwide, and according to the American Ceramic Society, only about half the water that goes into the toilet bowl with each flush is actually needed to make, like, the flush happen, Mm. and the rest of the water is released just to force tenacious poops down to where they can get carried away by the water. But with the super slippery surface, the poop slides down to where it needs to be. Yeah. Can I? Did they call them? Was that your tenacious language poops? or theirs? Mine. That was mine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I just like the the American Ceramics Association being like, <laughs> we the scientific designation for this kind of uh, problematic uh, fecal matter is tenacious poops. Yes. No. No, that came out of my my own brain. Okay. So with this slippery, slippery surface, no extra water, assistance is needed to get poops where they need to be. Uh, the nice. researchers suggested that with a combo of their spray and then properly calibrated toilets, each flush could end up needing half the water. And wow. on top of that, toilets treated with this spray were found in lab studies to have way less bacteria on them and need way less cleaning, which would make toilets safer. Uh, and then there are lots of things that they were taught, like many of the articles also said that this treatment had other applications, but the toilet thing must be like really what they're banking on because I couldn't find any other applications. But it's probably nice <laughs> yeah. to make a lot of stuff really slippery. Uh, so yeah. in the future, we might not have to worry uh, about particularly sticky poops. And the future may also hold toilets that are more ecological and sanitary. Well, I love I love that. Um, I do. I do push back against anyone who cares about uh, the bacterial content of a toilet bowl. The one place in the world I am least likely to touch. (laughs) I think I think that comes into play more at like in places where 
a toilet would be helpful, but maybe cleaning the toilet is a much more difficult. Or like in hospitals yeah. and stuff where you just never know. You just never know if a patient in the hospital is going to just put their face into the toilet bowl. Well, one thing I was reading about when I was researching was that they found some bidets in a Japanese hospital that were spraying out like some really virulent thing. And huh, now okay. people are kind of like, eh, maybe we need to rethink bidets. And since those are more common in the rest of the world, it might be helpful to have a cleaner toilet environment. Huh. I I was feeling like they were pretty dang equal until I found out that Sam's weird toilet spray might save uh, like a tenth of the water used <laughs> by households in America. Yeah, but the lemur like, toilets save the lemurs. And the lemurs aren't using the any lem- water. The lemur toilets use no water. They're water. So that's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Is that tree coated in a super slick spray that means that the lemurs don't have to worry about getting sick? No, they're going to lick that shit. They're going to lick it with their mouths. Yeah. They're going to slide down while they're pooping. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you combine our facts, you have the perfect fact. <laughs> but since Sam was already in the lead, I got to give this episode to Sam because oh, he's pew. he's looking out for science and the environment mm-hmm. while these lemurs are just looking out for themselves as far as I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and that means it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our virtual couch of finely honed scientific minds. It's from at happily who asks, would it be more water saving for everyone to switch to those airplane sucking toilets? Uh, and would that even be viable as a public system? That's an interesting question. I feel like it would certainly use less water, but I think there might be more to it than that. So there's the blue water ones where mm. they just like use the blue water. And I feel like that's just, there's going to be a lot of, that's just like recirculated blue water. Yeah. And, but then the sucker ones, I feel like that would certainly save water, but uh, you'd need some way of creating the suction. Yeah. So the way it works, like, so our, I mean, our normal toilets, our non-airplane toilets use gravity to basically mm-hmm. when you're flushing, it's like part of what's happening is the gravity is carrying your water into like the the sewer system um but on planes you you don't want a bowl full with full of water while you're going to the bathroom because you're it's going to slosh around same if you're like on a bus or anything like it's just it's not particularly comfortable um so that's why instead they use vacuums um so they're called vacuum toilets you'll use the vacuum to basically suck everything um, into the tank after you flush. So in one thing I found where they were comparing the amount of water that these different systems use, older toilets would use up to five gallons of water per flush. Water-saving toilets that are, I think, more recent will use about 1.6 gallons of water per Mm -hmm. flush. And then vacuum systems use about half a gallon. So what you're saying is we don't need Sam's super spray (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Or you might be able to, like, make a combo um, because there are actually, like, vacuum-assisted toilets out there where, like, they are flush, but they have, like, an additional kind of vacuum assist to basically help not use as much water. But there's just not a lot of uh, buying options out there. I guess the market's just not great. But in terms of, like, using vacuum toilets overall, there are actually places that have not necessarily a lot of vacuum toilets, but they have vacuum sewage systems um, or vacuum oh. sewers instead of, like, our water sewers. And apparently they do um, particularly well in places that have flat terrain because for our gravity systems, you kind of need a certain angle to be able to get things to keep flowing. Um, also, gra- the water sewage systems don't work great in places where you need to 
protect the water, places that get really cold seasonally, places with low or seasonal population density, because like those kinds of places, you're not getting regular use of the toilet. So like people might be flushing a lot one time of the year and then the rest of the year it's pretty infrequent. So that can lead to sedimentation. So in some of these places, um, they've turned to vacuum sewer systems because they're a lot easier to maintain. Um, They have smaller pipes and they're like a lot shallower. Um, So you actually don't even need manholes for them. And so even though they're more prone to breaking, they're also easier to fix because they're super shallow. It's very easy to replace things. Um, So people generally seem to like them. um, But I think because we have a lot of places with the sort of existing uh, sewer infrastructure, it's just sort of a matter of like, well, is it worth it to completely take out the current sewage system Mm -hmm. and then replace it? Well, I I did not had not ever thought about that being used outside of the um, traveling vehicle circumstance. I had always assumed and I guess probably somewhat rightly that there are reasons why they do it that way uh, on buses and planes, but not on houses because it works pretty well (laughs) right now, especially if we could get a special poop stick coating spray. We just need slipperier toilets. Thank you, Sam, for saying it the way I should have said it in the first place. <laughs> if you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us at SciShow Tangents on Twitter, where we're going to tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every single week. Thank you to at Pat Kelly Teaches, at Xbree Ash, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. Deboki, thank you so much for coming on SciShow Tangents. Uh, Deboki is often operating behind the scenes making our games uh-huh. and... Uh, making sh- our trivia facts and making sure that we don't lie to you. Um, <laughs> or except for when we're supposed to lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Unless we're supposed to lie. Uh, and it is a pleasure to, as always, to have you uh, pop in and out sometimes and share your wit and wisdom with us. Thank you for having me. I've heard that you're also on another podcast that you uh, is about to happen or just came out. Yes. So um, this week, the week that this podcast is coming out on Friday, August 6th, I have a um, a four episode series coming out each week of August um, for Scientific Americans Science Talk um, podcast. In each episode, I'm going to be talking about basically science books. I'm going to be talking about two science books at a time that are on like a similar kind of topic and just talking about like what I learned from reading them and what I enjoyed about them. So if you like reading about science or you're looking for some science books um, to to get you through all your science needs um tune into that and uh we can talk about science books together cool i do love science books (laughs) what's the first one you're talking about so the very first episode we're going to be talking about fishes so the i'm going to be talking about the book of eels by patrick svensson and why fish don't exist by lulu miller Mm -hmm. god that one's weird oh yeah it is i loved it It it's so good i thought it was going to be a very different book than it was yeah yeah i thought it was going to be a book about why fish don't exist (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) if you like this episode and you want to help us out it's super easy to do that you can go to patreon.com slash scishow tangents to become a patreon patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes for example our first episode of Poopy Peepipedia came out today. Our only our episode podcast. of Poopy Peepipedia. It's our first episode of Poopy Peepipedia. Uh, I'm like, me. look, it went fine, and there's more to cover, as this very episode right. makes clear. Uh, second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful, and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, you can just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. 
Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sam Schultz. I've been Deboki Chakravarty. And SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes. Our social media organizer is Paola Garcia-Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarty. With additional research this week from Sari Riley. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. We are trained from a young age on how to use a toilet. You put your butt on the seat and then you do the thing. Mm -hmm. But in 1982, William O. Holmes patented an invention that connects the other end of your digestive system to the bowl. This is a fresh air breathing device method, and it was for emergencies. Like if you're trapped in a fire or in danger of carbon monoxide poisoning, it's basically a toilet snorkel. It's a long tube that you stick into the toilet bowl until you reach the air gap in the water trap. And that air gap may be filled with some residual farts, but it's better than breathing in smoke while you are being uh, slowly asphyxiated before the rescue team gets to you. That's the wildest shit. Well, I mean, I got to admit, it's a pretty ingenious thing to think of. Yeah, well, now if I'm ever, like, dying in a burning building, I'm going to be like, there's fresh air right on the other side of this (laughs) toilet, and I can't get to it. Well, you could bring a hose. You could put a hose by your toilet. I mean, I guess there's no reason not to just use a hose, but I don't have a hose by my toilet. (laughs) Well, okay. I'm bringing one over right now.